0: that you wanted to be in the world when you were a little kid? Uh, For me, it it wasn't an astronaut, a fireman, a a pro athlete, or a superhero. For me, it was a guy by the name of Zorro. (laughs) Anyone know who Zorro is? See, my dad was a high school English teacher, a literature teacher. And so my summers at seven, eight, nine years old, we're all reading and interacting with these kind of stories. And I remember begging my mom to get me a pair of black pants that I could get dirty, and a black shirt. I remember begging my dad to get me a, a, a fake plastic sword and a hat, and asking my mom, "Please, can you just make me a cape and a mask?" <laughs> And I would go out after school. I'd come home from school. I'd run up to my room um, while other kids were getting out their matchbooks, matchbox cars. I was transforming myself into you know, the, 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 the caped hero, Zorro, and then going and running around my yard. I got in trouble once for carving Zs into all of my dressers. I was obsessed with this, and I don't think I realized early on how much shame and embarrassment it probably brought to my parents, how many conversations they had to have with people in the neighborhood or people who drove by our our house on a busy corner and said, hey, I want to talk to you about your boy. (laughs) Is he okay? (laughs) But that was me. That was the first thing I ever wanted to be. Do you remember the first thing that you ever wanted to do? Go back in your childhood. Do you remember the first thing you ever saw that you thought, yeah, that's the thing. I want to do that. For me, it was jumping the dirt ramp across the street from my house on my bike. It's the first thing I ever wanted to do. And I remember being that same 7- or 8-year-old kid, probably in my Zorro outfit, standing at the edge of my yard. And looking out and watching all the cool kids on their cool bikes, and they'd go riding up to this thing, and then they'd jump this dirt ramp, and and it was so awesome. And I remember wanting to do it so bad. The problem was that the first bike my parents got me, and the one I had until I was probably 12, (laughs) was a bike that had a feature that really wasn't conducive for jumping. This bike had a banana seat, I don't know what kind of parent, what kind of thoughtful, God-fearing parent buys their eight-year-old son a bike with a banana seat, had a little basket on the front and everything. That was just the bike I had. And I remember telling my dad, I so badly want to be able to to, to, to make these jumps, but I know that I can't. It was the first thing I really remember wanting to do. And my guess is that if you go from the time you were a little kid until where you are now, your life is filled with moments. Where there's something that you want to be and something that you want to do. Some some place where you feel called to be a little bit more, to do a little bit more. You get married and what do you want? Well, you want to be a great husband or wife. You want to be more than that. You have kids. You want to be a good parent. In your job or your chosen career path, you want to do more. Maybe you've had a moment where you've seen something like the chapter house or the hub and you have thought that kind of thing. I want to get involved and do something there. Now, sure, when you're a little kid, those moments might be a little bit misguided. But the same thing that made me want to dress up and fight injustice as a weird superhero guy is the same kind of thing that made me want to be a pastor that helped people someday, you know. It all kind of comes from the same place. And sure, maybe when we get older, some of those desires get messed up by money and by fame and by uh, our own selfishness. But underneath that, there's just this thing, right? This this feeling that we want to be more and that we want to do more. And here's what's important to remember. That thing that's in you, that does not come from you. That is not self-generated. That comes from God. You were created and made with what I would call a holy ambition. You might think of it as a calling or a passion. But every single one of us was made with this desire inside of us from God to be a part of something. To do something that matters. You and I were made to be more. And we were made to do more. You can have a seed. So, we were all given this desire, this holy ambition by God to, to be more and to do more. But that ambition doesn't become reality until we do something with it. You might think of that ambition, that calling, that invitation as some sort of a seed that's planted in us. But at some point, it has to bloom, at some point, it has to poke up through the ground. And that only happens. When we act on it, the calling that God has put in us to do more, to be more, only becomes reality when we take a step, when we find a way to make it real. I remember when I was in 10th grade, uh, we had a a speaker that came to our church, uh, and he was a youth speaker that traveled all around the country, and, and we had this big night, at our church this youth night there were hundreds of teenagers there i was sitting right up in the front row and this old guy stood up there and he talked and at the end of his talk he said i think some of you in here i think god is calling you to be preachers to be pastors to be leaders in the church i remember being a scrawny little 10th grade kid and feeling like somebody had punched me right in the chest I just had this sense, and everything kind of felt like it was slowing down a little bit. And that old guy stood up on the stage, and he said, if any of you feel like that's you, you stand up right now. And I did. I stood up. I had, had goosebumps on my arms. but my heart was beating 100 a, a miles an hour. And that night, I went home, and I knelt down beside my bed in my bedroom. And, and, and I said to God, God, if, if you want this from me, I, I, I'll do it. I, 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 I'll be this person. I'll, I'll, I'll help you tell your story into the world. And I remember that moment. And because of that moment, I took more steps. I went to seminary and I got jobs in the church. But, but, that, but that specific moment where I stood up for the first time and then where I knelt down, that was the moment for me where that calling and that invitation started to take root. It started to become real. You know, uh, several years later, several, several years later, uh, about 2009, uh, I was out at my house. I was mowing my grass in the front yard. We live right over on West Avenue, right in the busy part. And it was spring. And, and I try really hard not to mow my grass in spring in the afternoon because where I live, um, the traffic from Parkside and Jackson High both walk by my sidewalks. And all I want to do is be a guy that can mow with his big headphones on and, and, and you know, mow in rhythm to the music that I'm listening to. But when those, big, when those big groups of kids are walking by, you can't do that because they're all making fun of you all the time. Maybe you've seen this before. If you're just walking down the sidewalk and a group of teenagers walks by, you know right away they're talking about you. <laughs> they're making fun of you. That's just what's happening. So I hated mowing my grass in the front there because these groups of kids would walk by, and, and I'd try not to make eye contact. But anytime I looked at them, they all burst out laughing. And I didn't know if, it, you know, maybe it was my tall black dress, socks with my shorts. I don't, I don't know exactly what it was. It was causing the problem. But this one particular day, I remember I got caught out there mowing in the front. I'm trying to finish. The kids are walking by, and they're laughing. I'm trying not to look at them. And I happen to look over, and there's a big group of kids that comes by, and then one kid by himself. He's got his hood up, headphones on, looking down at the ground, and walking really, really slowly. And I felt like I got punched in the chest. And I had a question that I couldn't quite figure out but but the, the question that i kept thinking was who's fighting for that kid who cares about that kid who's all by himself now i remember finishing mowing my grass grabbing a beer out of the fridge and going and standing on the back deck in my yard and in tears going god i'll do it i'll i'll help i'll fight for that kid and because of that, the next day I came and met with Dave and, and Javo and said, I think I'm supposed to do something. I think I'm supposed to start some kind of place. And it was in those early days that the hub was, was born. That's, that's where that came from. It was me just having some kind of a moment where I took the ambition and desire that was inside of me and then just stepped across the line and did something so that it became real. Maybe you know those moments for yourself. It's the moment where you send that email. You make that phone call. You apply for that other job. Uh, you reach out to a certain friend. You, you let someone know, hey, I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better husband or wife. And so I'm going to do these kind of things. It is only when we take those ambitions and that calling that God has put in us and take a step of action with it that it becomes real. it is always the next part of the story. As soon as we feel this thing in us that God has asked us to do, as soon as we feel that holy ambition, the desire to do more, the desire to be more, as soon as that happens and we take a step forward, the next thing that will happen at some point is resistance. It will get difficult for us at some point. And that's what happened to Elijah, too much, so much so to the point that he runs and hides. Right? Elijah just takes off into the woods, into the wilderness. He hides under what's called a broom tree. And a broom tree is like a, like a low to the ground kind of shrub kind of thing that he could be under and not be seen. And he just sits there and he just says, God, I've had enough. I've just, it's, it's, it's too much. I, I, I wish that you would just take me. I wish that you would just end my life like you did with my ancestors before. He just goes and he hides. I don't know what the resistance has looked like for you, but I bet you felt it at some point. You know, you have that ambition to to get a new job, to go do something where you can have more impact in your life, to go start something. But then as soon as you do, people misunderstand you or people don't care as much as you think they should or the job is hard. You have an ambition in your family that you're going to be more there. And, And as soon as you do that, they, they don't respond the way you want them to. Or it's harder than you think it should be. I call these broom tree moments. The moment where we just sit under that and go, well, I tried. Right? After I had that moment in 10th grade where I stood up and told God, I, I'll i do this. I went to seminary. I got my first job in a church. I worked there for two and a half years. And then I got a phone call from the, the, my mentor, the youth pastor of the church where I had grown up, he was becoming the senior pastor. He asked me if I would come back there and, and be the youth pastor. The same place where I had stood up that day and raised my hand and said, I'll do it, I got an opportunity to go back. It was my dream job. I couldn't imagine anything that would be better. But while I was there, it wasn't good. I, as a matter of fact, the job ended with me getting fired. I worked there for two and a half years. Uh, The job was probably a little bigger than the experience I had. And, And my relationship with my mentor that I was so excited about, it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. And then at the end, they said, we need to go a different direction. And the last thing that someone said to me as I packed up my little box of stuff from my desk to walk out, is they said, Ben, whatever you do, you shouldn't be a pastor. You just don't have what it takes. That was the last thing they said to me resistance. It was hard, and I kind of did what Elijah did. I got in my car. I drove out to a park. I went as far in the back as I could where no one see me, and I sobbed. I just sat there and just cried. I remember feeling in that moment, like, I'll never do this again. I don't want to be a pastor anymore. It's just, it's just too hard. After we started the hub, uh, in 2010 and 2011, we had all of this energy and all so many of you that gave so generously and, and, and sacrificially to that. Some of you who still continue to, thank you for that. But I remember when we first opened the doors of that place, and there were all these kids, but they weren't the kids that I thought would come. They, 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 were, they were bad. They, they, they did bad things. They stole our stuff. And at the same time, I realized I don't know how to run a place like The Hub. I didn't know anything about running a nonprofit, hiring people, setting strategic goals, any of that. Right from the beginning, it was really, really hard. And I remember standing on the back deck on a a Saturday after we had had an event there on a Friday night and it had not gone well. The police had been called out to the place. It was a mess. I remember standing on the same deck I had a few years before, drinking a beer, not the same one, but a different one. But I remember drinking a beer and standing out on that deck and saying, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. It's this, this, this too hard. It, it's not what I want it to be. And maybe you felt that same exact moment. You felt something stir inside of you, a passion, a desire. You took a step across a line, and then you got your hand smacked, right? And when that happens, our temptation is to hide. That's what we want to do in those moments. We want to hide because it feels better than continuing to get hurt. And, and I think hiding, much like it did for Elijah, is about more than just the hiding. I mean, he was hiding away from soldiers and people who were trying to kill him. But what was he really hiding from? He was really hiding from the dream that God had put in him, right? And I think that's what we do. I think when we run and hide, we kind of go back to the beginning, and then we just turn the volume down on that ambition that thing that God had said inside of us, I want you to do this, that fire he put in our bellies, that thing that we stepped across the line for because we believed in it, we just go pretend that we were never asked to do that in the first place. And maybe you found yourself there before where there's been something in you and you've just kind of muted it because it was too hard and because you got burned by the resistance when you tried to do it. But if that's where you are, I want to show you in just a few moments that God is about to do the best possible work he can do right from that place. Probably have found yourself somewhere in this little story that we've been telling this morning. Maybe you're right at the beginning where you just feel like right now God's putting something inside of you. It's, it's moving around and you're sensing that maybe he's inviting you, that he's calling you, that you have that holy ambition. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're at the place where you've had that for a while and now you're stepping across the line into that adventure. And that's scary, but it's exciting at the same time. Or maybe you're in the place where right now you feel like the resistance is happening. You've stepped across the line. You've tried to do these things, but now it feels like it's hard and you find yourself maybe running away. Or maybe you've been hiding for a, a while now. Maybe a long time ago, there was something in you, and you knew you were supposed to do it, and so you took a step, and you got hurt in the process. And so now you've muted that. You've turned that volume down. And maybe you did it so long ago that you don't even remember what the thing was because you just try not to think about it. But wherever you find yourself in that story, that's, exact, that's not anyone trying to get in, by the way. That's just the wind blowing on our building. <laughs> that's God knocking at the doors of your heart. Listen to him. But maybe wherever you find yourself in that, it's kind of, it's kind of where Elijah was. But, but what I want you to see is how God responds to Elijah. And and, and the way he does it uh, has a really obvious application that we all probably take, and then I think a secondary way, a second dimension that we could kind of look at it. So I'll show it to you up on the screens here, and we'll read it. It's the second passage, Drew, in, in Kings. So Elijah lays down and sleeps under this broom tree. And it says as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. And notice the exclamation point there. That's important in a second. But remember that Elijah is hiding. He is hiding from soldiers who are looking for him. He's sleeping under the tree. So I'm sure this scares him to death when somebody touches him and then wakes him up. And then he sees that this angel has made some bread and jars of water, bread that's on hot stones. So he eats and drinks and then goes back to sleep. And 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 then it goes on, it says, the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more. The journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel. Notice this: forty days and forty nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Mount Sinai always represents in the Bible the place that God is taking you. It's a real physical place, but it has kind of this secondary meaning. Now, here's the easy meaning of this passage: Elijah is discouraged. He had a dream in his heart, something God told him to do. He tried to do it. He got resistance. He went and hid under the tree, and he's discouraged. And God comes along and comforts him like a Jesus snuggie. Puts his arms around him and holds on to him and says, you're going to be okay, buddy. Yes, that is what happens. When we are discouraged, God comforts us. But I want you to see another dimension of what this angel did, what this representative of God did for Elijah, because he did not coddle him. He didn't take, come to him and just say, you know what, let's sit together under this tree for the rest of our days because you tried really hard and it didn't work out and oh well, you know, you gave it your best shot. That's not what he does at all. He provides for him. He protects him. He defends him. He shows up with bread and then says what? Get up. Let's go. You've got 40 days and 40 nights to go. The resistance is still going to come, but we are not done yet. God shows up for Elijah, and he turns the volume back up. You see that? God shows up for Elijah, and he says, your story is not done. I will provide for what you need right now, but this is not about me sitting here with you so you can be sad. This is about me saying, do you remember what it was like at the beginning before it got hard? Do you remember what it was like in that moment before it was hard when I called you? See, here is the point that we absolutely miss in this story. This vision, this, this dream, this holy ambition that Elijah had, it was not his to begin with. If Elijah had manufactured this on his own, if this was all his idea and he had just gone and done it, then he gets to say, oh, it's too hard, I guess I'll leave. If the idea that was in your head, if that thing you felt in your chest was just from you, then you could walk out on it anytime you want. But it is not just from you. The thing that you felt at the beginning was God. That is God inviting you into his story, into his redemptive story in the world. And so when you turn the volume down on that, you're not just walking away from your dream. You're walking away from the thing God has put in you to do. And what we forget is this ambition did not come from us. This is what God has told us to do, which means that He is the one who carries it through. We just sang a song, and there's a verse in Hebrews, I'll put it up on the screen here, that says that God is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He is the author and the finisher, meaning this whole story belongs to Him. God put the dream in you, and He will see it through. Paul says this in in Philippians. He says that, that he who has done a good work within you will continue that work until it's finished on the day that Jesus Christ is done. I am here to tell you this morning, he's not done. You may be hurt. You might be discouraged. You might be frustrated. You might have tried and it failed. But that same ambition that God put in you, he is not done with it. And when we walk away and hide and turn down that volume, we miss the fact that he is about to do his best work. This is what Paul means in Corinthians when he says this. He says, my power works best in weakness. See that there? My grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness, which is just to say in those moments when we are under that tree and we don't feel like we have anything left to give, that is absolutely the moment when God is going to do his best work because he that called you to the thing to begin with he's the one that put the dream in you to begin with and so what you've got to hear God saying this morning is here's the stuff you need I'll give you some bread and I'll give you some water but we are not finished and you don't need to hide you don't need to go over there you don't need to turn the volume down on this because this is not your story it's mine and I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to carry you through it when I um lost that job at that church and swore off church ministry forever as you can tell i'm doing really well at that commitment i went and got a little office job went through a temp service and got a job where i was just answering phones every day and and eight hours a day answering phones customer service complaints those kind of things and it was a pretty boring job phone didn't ring all the time and so i started bringing a journal with me and i started re- bringing my bible And I just started reading all these stories, these stories of God just showing up for people when they were discouraged, these these stories about God being the the champion, the author and the finisher of our faith, these verses we're reading. And I started journaling about what God could do maybe. And it wasn't right away, but it took a little bit. But somewhere in that time that I worked there, those four or five months, all of a sudden I started to feel like God was hitting me in the chest again. And that he was saying, you know what, I don't think you're done. I don't think your story's done. And I remember fighting against that so much. They told me, the people at that last church told me, don't do it anymore, you're not very good at it. Like I failed. But somewhere along the line, I decided that I was gonna turn the volume back up on that. And what I had to do is what I'd encourage you to do. I had to go back to that moment when God first called me. And maybe you remember what that moment's like for you. That moment where that dream kind of took root in you. The first time you felt that little spark of ambition. And I went back to that and I took my family, we took a crazy risk. We moved to Minnesota where I'd never been before, never had visited the state before I went there to visit for this job. And we worked there for five years. It was incredible. And then God brought us here to Westwinds. And here's what's interesting. If anything I've said this morning has resonated with you on any level, if anything I've, I've said today has made you go, you know what, maybe God's not done with me. It's only because Way back when, I turned the volume back up. It's only because I didn't let the resistance win. That's the reason I can stand here right now in front of you and tell you that God isn't done. And the same thing's true for you, man. If you will turn that volume back up, if you will connect back to that day when God did something in you, that day when he called you to be more and to do more, then you might find that he's gonna use you in some really incredible ways in the lives of other people. Amen.